You are listening to the Equip Podcast. This weekly course seeks to equip our church, and we pray it can help you as well. Check out more resources at rockycreek.church. Tonight, we're going to be starting in Systematic Theology 2. How many of you were here for Systematic Theology 1? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. So the rest of you folks are like, what am I getting myself into, right? Okay, so uh, real simple, uh, theology is the study of God, right? And systematic means you kind of put different components and put it together in one thing. If you read the Bible and start in Genesis and go all the way to Revelation, you kind of hit a lot of different portions of narrative and and, uh, teaching and different types of things. What systematic theology does is it takes certain themes that are kind of scattered all throughout Scripture and then brings them together to have some good coherent units to say, this is what we know that Scripture teaches about these specific things. So that's what we're going to be doing here as we go into this second session. And I'll tell you kind of what you missed the first session, kind of count us up a little bit. But the study of God is the essential discipline to get accurate during our lifetimes. I know that you want to get a lot of things right in life. I know that you want to make sure that you're not stepping out of line or uh, there are certain things that you want to make sure you understand in the world today. But there is nothing greater than this thing right here to get accurate what we believe to be about God. There is no greater topic. There is no greater thing that you need and I need to do this. And, and so with this, uh, this course will study four significant doctrines. Now I would love, we're just going to have to do a test. Can you read those words out there for it, okay? Now I'll be honest with you. When, um, so we, we homeschool our kids, and when our boys were just starting kindergarten, first grade, a lot of times I would ask my wife, hey, it's been a long week for you. Can I teach the boys on Friday? And she's like, go for it, right? So she let me start teaching the boys one time. She left me all this list of stuff. And I just didn't look at it at all. And uh, so she's got all this stuff she wanted me to get to and whatnot. And when she came out, she goes, well, how would you get to the list? I ain't got a list yet, but watch this. <laughs> hey, boys, what is the study of the Holy Spirit? They go, pneumatology. And I'm like, look at that. <laughs> They're brilliant little theologians. Like, this is awesome, right? And she's like, how is that going to help them? I'm like, it's way better than the stuff I learned in kindergarten. It's like, what does a cow say? It means moo, right? Okay, like, I'm going, this is a far better. Uh, but so these doctrines we're going to look at, we'll explain, but these are the four significant doctrines we're going to look at this semester. Pneumatology, soteriology, ecclesiology, and eschatology. Don't you just feel better already just hearing that, right? Okay, I promise you we'll unpack it, and you will not have to spell those at all at any portion of this. But let's talk about a little bit why theology is important. Theology, again, is the study of who? It's the study of God, right? So, so here's why I think if we start with, it is so very important. If we confuse God's truth among our opinions, we will never discover who God truly is. This is why theology is so incredibly important for us, and why we must get a handle on this above all other disciplines and doctrines in our own life. If we confuse God's truth among our opinions, we will never discover who God truly is. When I grew up in church, this is how I learned so much of, or at least so many of the Bible studies I was a part of, sounded something like this. Somebody would read a verse of Scripture and look around the room and say, okay, what does that mean to you? Okay, well, that means this to me. Oh, good. Well, that means that to you. What about you? Well, it means something different to me. Oh, that's awesome. What does it mean to you? And you go around the room and it means something to every one of us and it sounds a little bit different. Is that the way that God wants us to study the Word? This is something that I often say when we talk about theology and some people will take great offense at it and I really sincerely care for you and yet I will say it yet again. 
At the end of the day, it does not matter what you or I think about God. It matters what God thinks about God. It matters what, who God says that he is rather than who you think he is. Because guess what? You can think something and you can think it sincerely, but you can be sincerely wrong. How many times today are we living in a culture right now that says, Well, I believe God to be like this. Well, that's cute. That's great. But what if you believe in be something else? Let's just take our, our major five world religions today. The five, uh, I would say, by adherents uh, would be Hinduism, Buddhism, Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And, that, and, and here's the reason why. And if you think about just those five religions, well, Hinduism would say that there's many gods and God is all and all is God. And, and basically there's this issue of karma. You do good things and good things happen to you. You do bad things and bad things happen to you. Is that the same thing that Christian message is? No. Christian message is we did a lot of bad stuff and God was really good to us, right? Okay. Um, you look at Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Judaism says that Jesus was a false prophet. Islam says that he was a prophet, but he was not the son of God. Christianity says he is a prophet and the son of God. All three of these cannot be right at the same time, folks. So just to say whatever you think is fine just doesn't work anymore. Uh, there's actually a book that I uh, studied years ago uh, by a guy who would say he's, he's the expert in religion uh, by a lot of... Uh, news outlet standards. His name is Stephen Prothrow. He's a religion professor, I think, at Boston University. And he says that he's, well, people say he's one of the experts in religions. And when you ask him what he is specifically, he says that he's religiously confused. So he knows it almost better than anybody because I don't know what I am. He grew up in a Christian home, but he's kind of confused on some things. And so, but this is what he said. He goes, for years, when uh, after World War II, the world was in such disarray that a lot of philosophers began to talk like this. Hey, let's just tell everybody that all religions are leading to the same place, and it's just different paths up the same mountain. And it kind of sort of kind of calmed everybody in a, in a sense of kind of think societal standards because we all thought, man, all these differing wars and stuff going on, it was kind of like almost unifying to think, you know what, these religions over here think this way and they think this way. But what Stephen Prothrow, who says he's religiously confused, would obviously be very, very liberal in some of his stances, says this. It is wrong and it is offensive to tell other religions that basically they're trying to do the same thing. <laughs> they're different. Islam is trying to do something very, very different than Buddhism. Uh, the atheist has different views on life than, say, the, the Jewish person does. And the reason why I bring that to you is you can have your opinions about who you think God is, but at the end of the day is who is God? That's the most important discipline. Who does God say that he is? And we find that out from the truth of God's word. Now, we think about how standards come to us. This is something that I've, I've shared at the church before, but let me show you there's kind of four categories of how I would break this down. Our standards will either be inside us, beside us, behind us, or above us, okay? Let's take those here together. Our standards will be inside us, which are what? Feelings, or they're going to be beside us, which are culture, or behind us, which is tradition, or it is above us, which is scripture, okay? So as we think through what standards are, especially what does it mean to God, if we come down to it and we like standards up and we do it based on the standard is inside us, what we feel. Has anybody ever been in a place in your life where you can look back now and, and surely say, I don't know that back then during that rough season of my life that I could trust my feelings? Can anybody say that? Okay. Would some of you be honest and go, I don't even trust my feelings today and I'm doing pretty good. Okay. Like feelings are fickle, are they not? 
You'd be doing great. There's one morning you wake up and everything's falling apart. You go, what in the world just happened? Your feelings can't be trusted. And yet, typically, how do we define God? Well, I feel that God's like this. I just like to believe that God is just accepting the people of all different kinds. It doesn't matter what you are. And then one day he's going to bring us all. Well, that's great that you feel that way. But also, one time when I was a kid, I felt like I was Batman. You know what? <laughs> Problem was this. I wasn't Batman, okay? Like, I tried to sneak out one night to go fight crime, and my mom said, get back in your bed or else. And Batman apparently had to listen to his mama, okay? So I might feel one way, but did that change who I was? No. And so with this, your feelings can't be trusted. They change, and therefore we've got to have something a little better than that. Some people don't go to their feelings. They go to the standard beside us, which is culture. What does culture say on the issue? And let's just subscribe to that. Is that dangerous, folks? Okay. I, I don't know who's the youngest in this room or the oldest. I'm probably the youngest. I probably, okay, just joking. Okay. Um, but there's, there's some young folks in here and some older folks in here. But I would say that everybody, at least in my vantage point as I see, we have all lived enough life to say society has changed dramatically in our lifetime. Can we not? Oh, dramatically, right? Dramatically so. And so with this, if you make your standard beside you what culture says, guess what? You will believe one thing today and something else tomorrow. And so that, it just changes all the time. Or some people go, the standards behind us. They are tradition. And uh, how, what, what makes a tradition a tradition? A tradition is anything you do twice. Okay? A tradition is something you do twice and you think it's the best way and you can't move from it. And a lot of times people will say, why do you feel this way? Why do you think this way? Why do you do it? I don't know. That's what my mom always believed. That's what my family back home's always been. We've always been that. Okay, that, that's great, and that could be a start. But it's also important that when you get to heaven, you don't get the family discount. You know that, right? Like, you go and you walk in on your own situation. Single file line, you and God. Mama's not there to help you. Pastor's not there to help you. It's you and Jesus, and what have you done with him? But if you're, not, if you're not careful, you go, well, my family's always believed this. My church back home believed that. I've always thought that in the golden days, we used to think this way. That may be right. And sometimes, I, like I look back over certain things. There are certain things that I wish we could go back to in the past that, that used to be kind of a common, common cultural things. There's also stuff in the past that was wrong. It was evil. And the problem comes this. That line of thinking, some people go, okay. So give me an example. Um... If we go back into the, the nation's conscience for a little bit, for a second, there was a time when the majority of the United States of America thought slavery was acceptable and good, right? Now, corporately, we would say that's negative, right? Guess what also would say that's negative? Scripture itself. So when the church got off of it, it wasn't because, well, the times changed. They just went away from Scripture. You go back to Exodus chapter 21. It said slavery is wrong. It should be punished by death anytime. Yeah, yeah, but why? Because the culture and the traditions and all this kind of stuff went. Now, what takes place is, so now in our culture we go, at one time the United States of America got slavery wrong. So therefore, anything in the past that we once believed also is wrong. Is that not what's happening right now? And this is what we can't differentiate. What was wrong in the past because it was unbiblical and what was going on in the past that maybe was biblical and needs to stay. The issue is this, not what happened in the past, not what's happening right now. What does it come down to that last standard? The standard must be above us. It must be Scripture. 
it, it must be somebody's got to be higher than all of us here. And why is that? Um, because if I were to put it up to a vote today about what all of us should do, we'd come in different places. And so we need someone higher. We need someone greater. We need someone wiser to go to to make sure we can rally our hearts and lives around. And so I want you to turn for a moment. Go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Because while this is, we've got to get to that standard above us. We've got to make sure that we understand who God is. And I believe that most likely we want somebody who knows what they're doing. Um, Let me ask you a question. If you had a medical procedure come up tonight and you said, Hey, Pastor Travis, I think I just had a heart attack and I need somebody to come in and cut me open and take care of business. Can you drive me to the ER? I said, Hey, look, they're going to charge you a lot of money. But I watched a guy on YouTube one time. And I got a pocket knife, and I think I can do this, right? How many of you would trust me with your heart? This is horrible. I thought, you know, a pastor's supposed to get a trust of his people, right? Okay, no. You're right. Like, if you were to have the opportunity to say, a guy who, or a gal who has studied all their life and practiced and done this procedure numerous times versus you who've watched YouTube, who do I trust my heart with? I'm going with the person with a degree, right? With the experience. Why do we go to Scripture? Because you and I are just the kind of people watching YouTube coming up with opinions that change from day to day. God is the standard of truth that's far beyond any of that. And so we've got to make sure we go to him. So, and, and why is this, as, before we look at those verses, why is theology important? It's not an academic exercise. It's not something we just do to flex in church. Because it is impossible to love a God we do not know. And it is impossible to follow a Savior if we don't know where he is heading. Why is systematic theology so important? Why do we want to go and dive down into the deep treasures of Scripture? Because I want to love God more. And the more I understand of who He is, the more I love Him. The more I've found that I will not find God in a bad light when I go into Scripture. And everywhere that I turn, it becomes more glorious and captivating, not only to love, but also to follow. So with this, this is why theology is so important. 2 Timothy chapter 4 is written by a guy by the name of Apostle Paul, writing to his son in the faith. This is what most people believe to be Paul's last letter before he died. And look at these words that he says in verse number 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Just hard stop there for a second. Whatever's about to happen, he just called you out. Like, look, I charge you in the presence of God Almighty, His Son, Jesus Christ, who's going to come back and make sure everything right. He's going to appear and, and get everybody straightened up. I'm about to tell you something in His presence to make sure you do it. Y'all, we better listen up, right? Verse 2, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Let me pause there for a second. Some of y'all go, Travel, I'm not a preacher. This is for you. The word preaching there is really a word of just proclaiming the word. There are some people who be vocationally pastors who preach the word for a living, right? Um, But every single one of us, are we called to share God's word with other people? Yeah. That's what we are. Preach the word, be ready in season, and what? Out of season. You go, what what does that mean? You have the word so firmly implanted in your soul. That when you got an appointment on the calendar to share that word, are you ready? But if somebody calls you up in a hot moment you weren't ready for it, you know the word well enough to say, I can speak on behalf of the Lord. I know what he says. That's, 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 
That's big boy stuff. That's big girl stuff right there to say. Even if I don't know, if I'm called on on the spot, like I, I, I can tell you not what I think, right? I can tell you what God thinks. Because I've studied his word so much, I know it. This is the, the point to be ready in season and out of season. When I was in college, my roommate and accountability partner in college and still to this day, we got to a place where we were so tired of telling people when they said, so what does the Bible say about such and such? We'd have to make up some bogus answer. Well, you know, somewhere in the New Testament it says something about God loves people. There you go, right? Oh, that's helpful, right? Okay. So we started getting a little bit deeper into memorizing the Word and studying the hard places, and so we would start drilling each other sometimes and say, so let's say I asked you about such and such, where would you turn to? Oh, yeah? How about this? If you had come under this, where would you go? And we just started learning so we could know the Word, be ready in season and out of season. Then anyway, he says, reprove rebuke, exhort, you're teaching, you're correcting, you're changing stuff as it goes, right? With complete patience and teaching. Why did he have to say patience? Okay, Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. These people don't get it. I'm just going to preach it one time and they're going to say yes and amen and I follow. And does that work? No. Keep sharing the word. Why? Because we're slow, y'all, okay? I mean, let's be honest. Even today in the sermon, Jesus talking about forgiveness We've heard that thing a thousand times, some of us, right? It's like, mm, I'm not ready, not ready, not ready. He goes, how about another time I'll remind you, right? He just brings it back. Complete patience and teaching. Now listen to this. See if this reminds you of a time. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passion. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Folks, apparently that word was needed for Timothy in his day. But we need it now. I cannot think of a greater commentary on our society than that right there. Not endure sound teaching. Sound teaching means it's biblical, it's right, it's accurate, it's truthful. But having itching ears, they'll accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. Do you know you can find somebody to tell you what you want to hear? And most of them got a book in the Christian living section at Barnes & Noble right now. Some of the worst heresies is in the Christian living department of bookstores right now. Some of the most dangerous preachers are the biggest platforms on the channels all the time. Some of the most dangerous voices out there are the highest podcasts and YouTube channels you can find. And oh, it sounds good. Tell me what I want to hear. My ears are itching for somebody to validate me. For somebody to tell me I'm not the problem. Everybody else is. I'm somebody important. I don't need to change. Everybody else in this world needs to change. God send me somebody to teach me like that. And there's a lot of people sign up and say, I'll teach you like that. You can buy my book. You can actually support my ministry. And if you do support my ministry, guess what? I'll give you a blessing. Or God will give you a blessing. You don't have money? That's okay. Support me anyway. God is going to guarantee to give you a blessing. It's a heretical pyramid scheme that comes not from the gates of heaven, but from the gates of hell. And it's rampant. There's coming a time when people won't endure sound teaching, but their ears are going to itch. They're going to start looking. They're going to go find teachers to meet their passions. I want somebody to tell me I can do this. Somebody put a stamp of approval on what I want to do. You'll find it. They'll have a doctorate in something. They'll have a something of following, whatnot. Anything you want to hear today, folks, it's out there. 
and you're going to turn from listening to the truth because the truth hurts and God don't play around and we wander off into myths. We wander off into myths that is just spiritualese-type language that sounds godly, but it's devoid of the power. You know why? Because it's opinions and not truth. And he says, as for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. The reason why I think this, this study is going to be so important for us for the next few months is because Satan has infiltrated the church as an angel of light and sharing a whole lot of unbiblical things that we are chewing up and receiving as if it is truth. And then we start hearing the hard passages of Scripture and trying to explain it away because obviously it can't mean that. This is why theology is important. This is why it's important for us to make sure we understand who God is and not who we think Him to be. Because then we find out who He is, we discover who we are in the midst of it. Now, as I mentioned, last semester, January kind of through April, we looked at Systematic Theology 1. I'm going to review those few months for you in about 10 minutes, okay? Um, just to keep, make sure you understand what are those big truths we looked at. First one was something called bibliology, right? What is the, what's the Bible, okay? So we, we got, and this is the reason why we start there. You don't start at theology or Christology or whatnot. You know why? Because we understand our theology from bibliology. We understand our Christology from bibliology. Our textbook is the Bible. We either have to believe this is a book that's, that's brought to us by God or it is not. So, we believe one of the central truths of this doctrine is that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. That the scriptures that we hold in our hands is not just man's concocted ideas, but it's actually God's truth to us. Now, it's inspired. What it means by that is that God breathing out and human authors taking up their pens and starting to write certain things down. So the Apostle John writes like the Apostle John, and the Apostle Peter writes like the Apostle Peter. But as they write, it says God is inspiring them to be able to teach us truth. Know this, I believe that there are many inspiring books in the world today. There's only one inspired book. That's the Bible. A lot of inspiring books. Some of my favorite Christian books I've ever read, A.W. Tozer, The Pursuit of God, Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. Master Plan of Evangelism uh, by Robert Coleman. These are inspiring books, but the Bible is the inspired book. Something different about it. Why? Because God breathed it out. It's an error. There's no errors in it. That's a belief that we have. There's not like you're going to find something in it like, oh, there's, that's wrong. It's infallible. His promises are true. They're trustworthy. You can take them to the bank and know with confidence that he's going to be faithful. Now, as we think through how we relate that to our lives, our lives will be determined by how much we allow the Scriptures to influence our beliefs and behavior. When we get to the issue of Scripture, our lives are determined by this one thing. Will the Bible sit on your shelf with dust collected, or will it be the manual for your life? As it resolves, or results around belief and behavior. Think about... Um, the book of Ephesians, six chapters. The first three chapters are on belief. The last three chapters are on behavior. Here's who you are. Here's who God is. Now, as a result of that, here's what you ought to do. Beliefs, behaviors. Walk through it. There are many times where it's going to talk throughout Scripture certain beliefs. And there's also certain times he's going to say, I was reading Proverbs this week in my, my Bible reading plan. 
don't be slack. Okay, that's kind of the, the message I was walking through. A lot of Proverbs just kept reminding me, like, okay, that's a belief. Okay, well, what's the belief? The belief is this. God's given me a certain amount of time, and I need to be faithful that time. So what's the behavior? Stop being a lazy bum and get to work. Okay, I got it, God. Okay, thanks for making that clear, right? Like, so I, I can see that. I hear that. Like, I, I know that. And so with it, we come to the Scriptures knowing that it's the inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God influencing our beliefs and our behavior. Then we get to the topic of theology. This is the question of who is God? A lot of beliefs, a lot of thoughts on it. Um, we believe that God is the creator and sustainer of all things, everything. And, and so with this, we believe that not only were we made by him, we were made for him. He holds our life together. He holds eternity in his hands. And for us to try to live rogue of what he's asked us to do is to our detriment. So with this, we reorient our life to who is the one true God and how we are to live our lives. But because we live in such a crazy time and has been from the very beginning, people believe a lot of different things about God. And God's truth regarding himself is superior to any of our opinions concerning him. When we get down to this theology, this thought about who God is, we have to get to this place of his truth regarding himself is always superior to any of our opinions concerning him. I, I say it this way, that um, when, I was, um, when I first started teaching college classes um, at, at State University, and I asked everybody, hey, make sure when you're giving me papers that there's actually reliable sources. And the first paper came in, and I had a lot of people writing uh, papers with this as a source. Wikipedia, Okay. Uh, if you don't know, Wikipedia is an online encyclopedia that anybody can edit right now, right? Just change. So you could go in and say, George Washington was the first president of the United States, and then I'd come back and say, I think he's the tooth fairy. And, and then, like, for a moment, it's up there for anybody to see. And so you Google George Washington, the first hits Wikipedia, and George Washington's the tooth fairy. <laughs> Who knew? Okay, there you go, right? And then somebody's going to come in, no, 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 that's right. The community has decided that's incorrect. And actually who he was is this. There's no standard of truth. Um, I believe that we are living in a time that theology is kind of like this, that I always call it a wiki God kind of theology. That in our minds, we always cut, copy, and paste whatever we want to believe about God. You think this, well, you can just change on your end. You want to think that? Okay, that's great. You just move, shake, everybody does this. And this is kind of the mentality. And we've got to get back to the place of what does God say? And we've got to reorient our lives, and it's far superior to our opinions of him. Hey, I get this. You've always thought God was like this. There's this, I think, a fantastic song written a couple years ago, and he said, I used to think of you this way, and I'm finding out that's not who you were. Praise the Lord. He was relieved that God was not coming up who he thought he was, but he was something so far greater. We look at then anthropology, which is a little bit word that maybe more of us are a little familiar with. What is what? Mankind, okay? Mankind, humanity. Humanity is created in the image of God and intended to bear his likeness. Out of all the creations that were created, humanity has a unique situation. We were created in the image of God. We're intended to bear his likeness. We are not to be him, but we are to be like him. See the difference? It's huge, big, big difference. So we are intended to bear his likeness. So as he shows us mercy, we ought to show mercy. As he cares for others, we ought to show care for others. As he stands for truth, so should we stand for truth. And because humanity is created in the image of God and intended to bear his likeness, everyone deserves dignity regardless of gender, ethnicity, or ability. Just so you know, God did not just create this race in the image of God. 
He did not just create this ethnicity in the image of God or this gender in the image of God or only people with these types of abilities in the image of God. Anyone from the womb to the tomb has God's image stamped upon them and should be defended and protected at all cost. And so with that, there is not any ethnicity in this room that is inferior to another one. There is no gender in this room that is inferior to another. There's no one, oh, I have this disability, therefore, no, 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 that's not how this works. We are creating the image of God to bear his likeness. Now, we go to harmatology, right, which is a real fun one, okay? This is what is sin. And sin is our defiant rebellion against God's standards for our lives. Whenever we get to sin, it is a defiant rebellion against what God's standard is for our lives. So the issue and doctrine of sin that we must address always, we come back down to this situation, is that whenever we think that we know, just like Adam and Eve who thought they knew better than God, God says, don't take the tree. We think we deserve the tree. The devil says he's keeping something from you. Whenever we sin, we are taking forbidden fruit. We are saying we know better than God, and we believe we should determine what is right and what is wrong. It is absolutely necessary for God to punish sin. This is an important doctrine for us to understand as it comes to this one, that it cannot be something that you go, well, it's not really that big of a deal. That's the problem today, one of the problems in culture today. We don't think sin is a big deal anymore. Sin is sin. It's an offense against God. You, you actually call rebellion and a mutiny against God. You've declared war against him, and he's going to finish this. You might have started it, but he's going to finish that war, Okay. So you either can surrender to him under his terms or be defeated with the rest of his enemies. And then we get to Christology, who is the person of Jesus Christ. As we ended last semester, we believe that Jesus is the long-awaited Christ that all of history longed for and for which all of Scripture prophesied. Jesus, uh, Christology, Jesus Christ. When I was a kid, I always thought that Christ was Jesus' last name. It's not, okay? Uh, Christ means Messiah. It means anointed one. And so the belief is this, is that there was someone who was born about 2,000 years ago who had a miraculous birth, who lived a perfect life, who died a death he did not deserve, rose from the grave, has ascended now to heaven, is going to come back one day and settle all things. That day is coming. And this is who we believe to be Christ. We don't believe that he's an addition or plan B once the New Testament got here and God got bored. He was the beginning of this, right? So you think about it this way. All the way back in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve have sinned. The serpent deceived them. And God says, serpent, let me tell you what's going to happen. You're going to be nipping at the heels of mankind all of your days. But the seed of woman, when you strike him in his heel, you're going to cr- he's going to crush you in your head. So a birth that is to come, prophesied in Genesis, that would come thousands of years later, of whom no man would get the credit for, called a virgin birth, that the moment you strike his heel on the cross would be the death blow upon your head, Satan. Why I say that is that Jesus was not plan B. It's where all scripture, you look through the Old Testament, and he's coming, and always pointing towards. We believe that God provided the only way to salvation through the person and work of Christ. There is one way. Jesus said... I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Can I go through another way? Apparently not. Either Jesus is right or he's wrong on this, okay? He's not like, well, he's kind of right, kind of right. No, he's either right on this or he's wrong. And we believe that through what Scripture teaches is that he's provided the way to salvation through the person and work of Christ. Now, 
That's Systematic Theology 1. Now, I know you're so excited. What are we going to talk about the next few weeks? And we're going to talk about this in this semester. Four major doctrines, and I will go ahead and say this. Last semester, we're kind of the, oh, yeah, that's kind of easy. We all kind of agree on this. This is the one that's going to get fun, y'all. I'm going to tell you. Y'all going to walk out of here, and sometimes you'll be arguing with each other, like, I don't believe that, blah, blah, blah. I can't believe you think that. It's going to be great. Um, so these four doctrines, uh, in a lot of ways, especially uh, three out of the, my battery go in there? Oh, wow. George, okay, one second. Um, Three out of the four especially is going to be very, very challenging for us to get through. But I believe that through God's Word and God's Spirit, we can do it together. Let's talk about this one. This one I used to love to tell my boys. Boys, what is the study of the Holy Spirit? And there was a pneumatology. Okay, so pneuma is the word for spirit. So this is the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Folks, I'm so excited that the next three weeks we're going to talk about who the Holy Spirit is. You know why? Some of you grew up in a church where the Holy Spirit was talked about all the time and probably did some things in your church that really you never saw in Scripture, but people said you're supposed to do when it happens when you have the Holy Spirit. And sometimes the Holy Spirit's blamed for good stuff, and sometimes he's blamed for stuff like, huh? I went to a church one time, they said, if the Holy Spirit's upon you, you're going to bark like dogs. <laughs> never seen that in the Bible, but they did it, okay? A lot of people going around the room barking like dogs, and I said, I'm going to another church next Sunday. See you all later, Okay. <laughs> Holy Spirit can be blamed for a lot, but let me tell you, while some of us grew up where the Holy Spirit was mentioned and commonly referenced, because there were abuses done in his name, some of us grew up in a church where he was never mentioned. Almost forgotten. You don't talk about why, because he's hard to understand. And it's to our detriment that if Jesus said, you guys are going to be better off if the Spirit comes and I leave. I think we might want to pay attention to the Holy Spirit's role in our life, right? John 16, 7. Okay? Jesus says it this way. As he is walking with Peter, James, John, Andrew, Bartholomew, Matthew, you name it, all his disciples. He says, hey guys, do you like having me around? Oh, that's great. I always say as a kid, if I could just have Jesus with me, flesh and blood, Jesus walking beside me, I wouldn't get in as much trouble as I get into, right? You ever thought about that? If somebody says a bad joke and you want to one-up them, Jesus look at me like, I'm not going there. <laughs> like I, I'm not going to say it. I'm not gonna... If Jesus' flesh and blood were with me, I just feel like I'd be on my best behavior. Jesus' flesh and blood with the disciples says, it is to your advantage if I leave and the Spirit comes. You mean to tell me that there is something better than God beside me? Yes, God inside you. This is the role of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And unfortunately... Sometimes we neglect him. To our detriment, we depersonalize the Holy Spirit. He's a person. He's not an it. He, okay? We depersonalize the Holy Spirit to some type of abstract, magical force that some people have more than others. It's like, like okay, Jesus would mention the Spirit's kind of like the wind, right? But we just think, oh, he's just like the wind, right? I'll be straight with you. A lot of us have an understanding of the Holy Spirit more like the force in Star Wars than what's in the Bible. Kind of moves and flows through us, right? It's hard to determine, and sometimes you control it, sometimes it controls you. That's just, it's a great movie, but don't get your theology from it, okay? I mean, it's just, and yet we think, oh, it's kind of like this force, it's kind of out there. No, the Holy Spirit is the presence of God inside of us. It, he, not an it, okay? And it's not... This is something we're going to have to unpack together. 
We speak ill of Scripture and of the Holy Spirit when we say that some people have more of the Spirit than others. And some of you, that just challenges you. Whoa, I've always thought that. You know that aunt of yours? Always praying and talking about all kinds of Scripture and whatnot. You just kind of feel nervous around her. Like, she, you, how's your day? And she's like, she knows I'm in bad sin right now. Okay, like she just look at, you know those spiritual people in your life that just seem like they're really walking close with God? And we typically go, man, she's so full of the Spirit as if she has more than you. But when I read the scripture, it says that when you receive the gospel, the fullness of God dwells inside you. So if you need something else, that means you don't have any of them in the first place. You either have the fullness of God dwelling in you, or you do not have God dwelling in you. There's not steps, not according to the scripture, but we struggle because we go, yeah, but that person is more spiritual than me. What does that mean? How does that interact? Like, how do I, how do I balance that? Maybe it's not that we have more of the spirit than another, but maybe the spirit has more of us than another. Right? Maybe there's something to do with us that we're not surrendering ourselves in some of those aspects of how we live. The Holy Spirit is the promised helper essential in the life of a disciple. The scriptures call the Holy Spirit the helper. What a gift, right? Does anybody here tonight need a little help in your life? I do. Uh, there's about 15 times a day I'm thinking, I'm going to take this person out, Lord, if you don't help me right now, okay? It's Sunday, Pastor. I know, it's my worst day, okay? Like, I, it's hard. I, I, need, I need help from the Holy Spirit. And, and God says, hey, when, when there's time coming, I love what um, John uh, continues as he, as he continues to teach about the Holy Spirit through the words of Jesus. He says in John 14, 26, The Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in the name of Jesus will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that, he, that Jesus has said to you. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been a moment of temptation all of a sudden this word, a verse, something you know to be true about God comes searing through your mind and go, I did not ask that to come up. But the Holy Spirit did. And he's given you one more chance. Hey, you can be obedient here. You don't have to go down that path. Holy Spirit teaches us all things. I mean, stuff like today. Today, I, I love watching light bulbs connect, right? When I'm, when I'm preaching, and I would like go, that person goes, oh, some, some of y'all have really honest faces, right? Some of y'all are like, oh, I'm offended. And some of you are like, I really get that. And some of you are like, I don't, we breathe in here. What's going on? Okay, like, and sometimes you'll see in your preaching, somebody goes, oh, I got it. Like, it's like, you literally, I feel like a light bulb pops in over your head right there. I'm like, oh, it just went on. And you know what I don't do? I did that. <laughs> I'm thinking, spirit just connected the dots. Look at that, right? It's just coming alive. Like, you see it. That's who the Holy Spirit comes, what, what He does in our lives. And we're going to speak about Him, especially starting next week, the next few weeks. Second doctor we're going to look at, soteriology. Can y'all say that with me? Soteriology. Y'all sound awesome. Okay, that is, what is salvation? You go, oh, that's an easy one, right? Oh, yeah. Okay, is and there's also some very delicate um, things that debate uh, really originates from in a lot of situations. Many people today question if we need to be saved and from what we need to be saved. This is why this doctrine is so important. A lot of people today question to say, well, it's not like we're really that bad anyway. And I go, uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Um, I mean, what do we really need to be saved from in the first place? Maybe we need to be saved from our selfish mentality. Maybe we need to be saved from this. No, we need to be saved because we have created an enemy to the Almighty God and we've got to be reconciled with Him, right? That's what we need to be saved from. And so with this, what do we need to be saved from? We need to know that salvation is God's gift to us, not something we earn from Him. This is key for us to understand 
Salvation is God's gift to us, not something we earn from him. And so it is a gift of God, not a result of our work, so that no one may boast. But within this salvation, let me also unpack this. Some of you grew up in a Baptist church. Some of you grew up in a Methodist church. Some of you grew up in a Presbyterian church. Some of you grew up in a Pentecostal church. Some of you grew up in a Catholic church. Some of you grew up in a non-denominational church. Some of you are like, I just showed up at this one, okay? And let me explain that on the issues of theology, especially soteriology, the issue of salvation is one of the most debated things because there are certain things about, well, are you once saved, always saved? What about those words in the Bible like, Election, predestination. Because they're in there, right? And what do you do with those words? If you like them, you study them. If you don't like them, you skip them, right? That's what most of us do. But throughout some of this, there's some serious debates that we've got to wrestle through. What does Scripture say about salvation and what God's part is and what our part is? And it's foundational for us. Let me go ahead and tell you, we're going to unpack some things that some of you are going to have to swallow hard and go, oh, this is hard for me to believe. But if you'll stay with me, I do not believe you'll find God in a bad light. You'll see God to be who he is in the scriptures and love him even more so. The third doctrine we're going to look at is ecclesiology. Can you say that with me? Ecclesiology. What is the church, right? So this one won't be nearly as debated as some, but it's a very important doctrine. And here's the reason why. The common tendency is to view a church as a building that houses religious activities, right? You came to church tonight. No, you didn't. You came to a building where a church gathers. And that is a big difference there, folks. You go, what's the building? I came to church today. No, you gathered with the church today. We have a building, and this building burns down this week. We are still the church. That don't change. So it's got to be something different. We've got to unpack it in a different way because a lot of times we just think it's a building that houses religious activities. The church is the people of God walking in the presence of God for the purposes of God. It's a group of people gathered together, experiencing the presence of God for the purposes that God has sent us out to accomplish. And if we make it about anything different, anything less, we are missing the purpose for what we are. That's the reason why some of us have gotten frustrated with the church in the past, because we weren't experiencing God's presence and we weren't about His purposes. That's the reason why. So we're going to go to Scripture to figure out what that is. And then our last doctrine is called eschatology. Y'all sound really excited about this one. This is what will happen in the end times. Eschatology. What's going to happen when Jesus returns, right? How many of y'all got all that figured out? Raise your hand. Liars. Okay. Okay. So um, I've, I've used this before, but I've known people in my life that have got it all charted out. Got a dates on the calendar. Got the, this person going, whatever. And I just look at it and go, there's one scenario that's not going to happen. Okay, like, because Scripture's going to say that there's certain things that you and I aren't going to know. But there are some things that we need to know. Uh, in times of escalating conflict, many people are anxious about what is to come. Is that right? A lot of times, man, you, you, you know, uh, I'll never, I, I, I'm from Greenwood, South Carolina. And a few years ago, Greenwood had an earthquake. And it was just traumatic. It lasted all eight seconds. It was like a, I don't know, 0.3 on the Richter scale or something. And we're all like, ah! And everybody's calling me, Pastor, is this the end times? I'm like, because Greenwood had an earthquake and your rocking chair got knocked over? Like, no, okay. Like, that's not reason. But now if you look around the world, are the earthquakes happening? Are famines happening? Wars taking place? Uh, crazy, crazy, disobedient, ungodly stuff going on, escalating all the time? You better believe it. So I don't know when the end is coming, but I do know we're getting closer, okay? 
My, my common line is, I know we're closer today than we were yesterday. I don't know how far off it is, right? But what should we do as the people of God? Well, while some details are unclear and debated, Scripture tells us what we need to know about the return of Jesus. Right? There's some things that are unclear, and I think God has left them unclear. You know why? Because if he detailed it out, some of y'all wouldn't get serious until you start, saw a couple of the events happening and you think you have time. And I think God left it a little ambiguous to say, y'all better get ready like it could happen today because it could. Can you give us more details? No, because some of you wouldn't get ready. And some of them are going to be debated. Y'all ever uh, heard about pre-trib, rapture, post-millennial, amillennial, blah, 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 all this kind of stuff, right? And some of you are like, oh, I can't get, I'm so excited. Some of you are like, I'm scared to death. Be both, okay? Be both. And what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Scripture says. And we're going to hear from God because I can promise you this. His version of himself and his version of what's going to happen is far better than what you or I may think or believe to be. So I'm asking if you got the energy, the forthright, you want to know God better, stick with me for the next few weeks as we unpack these four doctrines. And I promise you, as we think through, as it can change the way we view and interact with the Holy Spirit, how we think about God's salvation to us, what the church is and what is to come, it will change everything. So Father, we ask that tonight, just like your word says, we want to be ready in season and out of season. We don't want to have itching ears trying to get teachers to fit together according to your stand. We want to know the truth. And so, God, help us to be people who go about this approach to uh, systematic theology, to understand these four key doctrines in the coming weeks, to make sure we are people of the book following you. It's the name of Jesus we pray and all God's people said. Amen. Thank you all. Thank you for listening to the Equip Podcast. Make sure to check out rockycreek.church for complete notes and additional resources. You can also subscribe to this podcast and get weekly courses delivered to you. We hope to equip you for the work of the ministry.